scene three. I called a buddy to drop me at Boulevard Hotel. Minutes later, my date came and then sat down next to me, clutching some papers. I knew my cruise ship had come. And praise the Lord, she was yummy. She was damn pretty. Her smile was infectious. The smile that makes strong men weak. Her skin was smooth. It was newly made silk fabric. Her dress was designer made. Shit, I could not see the legs because they were covered by black stockings. Whoa, English is hopelessly inadequate to describe her beauty. Big and small talk kicked, punctuated by flirting under the cover of the black sky, next to a small bonfire, cracking like rodents negotiating undergrowth on a dry season. As decent of a royal butler, she excused herself and headed back to office. She had a small assignment to finish. So she left with an agreement that she would be back in an hour or so. I told my buddy my intentions and he agreed, but after conceding that I had hit a jackpot. Damn, if you let this woman slip from your grasp, chief, you are a total failure and your chances would be blown forever he said, staring at some bamboo reeds nearby, perhaps regretting why he rushed into matrimony, yet the beautiful ones are yet to be born. Silently I prayed. I did so in total faith, because I needed to win her heart first, then I needed blood in my veins to power an erection, then I needed the water of life in my scrotal bags to discharge and start a new life. These other needs were secondary. Now, I doubt if they matter. Because it was getting late, we left the mid-level hotel and negotiated our way to a cheap bar, a drinking hole that was reeking of stale urine, human defecate and vomit. We drank one beer each and left some journalism colleagues who were complaining how poorly they are paid. My buddy left for his ghetto and I joined my date in the car. I thought the moment was approaching. In her car, things started getting elephant. It was about 9.30 p.m., and I feared the evil spirits had stampeded the earth, eager to scupper chances of having a rewarding date. I hated the devil, because I had made a pact with him to keep off my umpteenth attempt to become a family man. Sorry, a responsible husband. The devil never keeps his word. Last time on Kiss Number Zero. For Bogonko, there is no little bit of Bogonko. You either have Bogonko as Bogonko and the whole of him or not. After your symbol disappeared, I was able to get a little bit of a little bit alikuwa somehow na car somehow disturbed kidogo kamuta fegi moja wakaniambia wewe mwaka acha nikimbie kwa ofisi nakuja basically while I was still in london i got telephone messages text messages from a good mutual friend who said where is this man possible and initially i i sort of dismissed it as you know maybe the guy is looking for possible is not replying to his calls or anything then when it got persistent, second day, so I jokingly I told the guy, what do you think? Do you think I brought him in my suitcase to London? I'm in London, he's obviously in Nairobi. 
I must have been among the last people to see him. If Mogongo can disappear, what about you? Less than a thousand people know of his disappearance. What about us? What about me for doing this video? After getting fired by AFP, Bogonko's life was thrown into a tailspin. His work had become his home, and maybe he didn't know how to live life anymore. So he went back to what he knows best, or at least a version of it. The man was being reborn through his newest creation, Jackal News that operated by the mantra, you're either a source or a target. Jackal News, the blog started by Bogonko Bosire, came to life in 2011, immediately after he lost his job at AFP. In the beginning, the site had all the hallmarks of a news website, complete with business section, world news, politics, and other categories. The stories done by him, its only employee, carried the punch and the style of the now blogger-in-chief Bogonko Bosire. Unknown to readers, Bogonko had enlisted the help of an acquaintance to register the site for him and post stories on his behalf. It looked like a joint venture. The details of the engagement are unclear, but this relationship had ups and downs. Vincho, you tried to look into this mysterious person who had relationship and co-owned the site with Bogonko. Tell me, what leads do you have? According to Dennis Hitumbi, Jackal News was co-owned by Bogonko and Moses Rono. Moses Rono now works for BBC Monitoring. I have been trying to reach Moses Rono, but he's Mteja. I will keep trying, and hopefully we will have him on the podcast. It is not clear if the site was making money, and how the arrangement of ownership of the blog was structured. So we enlisted the help of a respected software engineer, Frank Tamri, because we had so many questions that needed answers. Frank is helping us go back and look at the Jackal News website since it no longer exists. We are looking for clues about anything that might help us piece this jigsaw together. Around 2013 August, a month before Bogonko's disappearance, a post on Jackal News titled, New Investor Eyes Jackal News, details the interest in Jackal News shares by State House Director of New Media, Dennis Itumbi. He had declared interest to buy Jackal News shares. The story was based on a bidding war on Twitter, which kicked off with Itumbi declaring interest. Itumbi's initial tweet was directed to at Bogonko Bosire, and I quote, I think Jackal News can be Kenya's Huffington Post. Can you sell it? 
I'm willing to buy or invest in it. Can we meet? That's posted on August the 5th, 2013 by Ole Itumbi. That's Dennis Itumbi's account. And so, based on this tweet, this story that we are talking about was written. Some pointers though. Remember Itumbi telling us this? We did a small fundraising, helped him get a small office, and uh, he started Jaconius. Itumbi gave us the impression that he was there from the onset of Jaconius by getting Bogonko a small office space and fundraising. A little odd, if he helped him launch Jaconius, then why was he trying to buy or invest in it two years later? I don't know if this is some sort of play acting, but to what end? Anyway, back to the story. The story, clearly written by Bogonko, Jackal News offloading 49% of shareholding, adds a curious little comment saying it is not clear if Itumbi was representing himself, unknown investors, or his employer. Hey Frank. So we need to know to... more about what was happening on the site from the back end. It's easy for people to hide uh, that domain name by paying an extra amount of money. But you can know the, 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 the specifics of who owned what or that bit of ownership in terms of like the history of that website. But then when you start now digging deep into who owns it as I found out that apparently the, there have been um, uh, uh, around six uh, uh, six registrations, six registrars who registered mm-hmm. this domain name, yeah. and uh, the domain name, the hosting history, it has been hosted for around nine years. And so within those nine years, there have been around 27 changes and 12 unique name servers. And so the name servers is just where the content of the site will be pointed at. And so you could easily find um, all, all those um, online. And so we asked Frank if he can see from the back end whether the Jackal News website was making money. I don't see any ads on the landing page. Uh, they probably have another way of making money. What Frank is saying contradicts with Itumbi's assessment of the viability of Jackal News. By the time he disappeared, he was, he was, uh, he was actually catching up on Jackal News. Jackal News had started making revenue. The data that we have clearly shows that Jackal News was not profitable. So either Bogonko was lying to Itumbi or Itumbi is making up the statistics. In 2014, a whole year after Bugonko Bosire disappeared, Jackal News was still in operation. Secondly, his personal social media handles were being updated as Bugonko Bosire. There was, in fact, a bizarre post soon after Bugonko went missing in 2013. And let me bring in our producer, Vincho, at this point, because that post really was perhaps the first marker that shows sort of like the ups and downs in this relationship between people who owned this site and why it's important for anyone who follows this story to understand what was happening at Jackal News. There were many tweets sporadically sent from his handle, 
but the most disturbing ones were from 2nd February 2014 in which the person tweeting said Bogonko Bosiri at the end became an irritant, a drunkard whose income was all about blackmailing everyone. That tweet was followed by this one made on the same day. Bogonko died and I know because I'm posting from the phone he had. He had become a loose mouth at the end and he had to be eliminated. Sadly, there's some truth in those tweets, particularly the drinking and blackmailing. I have heard from a couple of people who we blackmailed. He blackmailed my friend's husband, and these friends, mind you, was they were with us at KMC. So he was blackmailing people that he knew. I suspect that everyone was prey and Jackal News was their hunter. Even though that was the truth, it's still not a justification to kill someone or force them to disappear. The question is, who is using Bogonko's handle to tweet such tormenting words, poking at the family, uh, at, like pain? And why is that nobody investigated this matter? Which makes me wonder if the person in Hague who supposedly had uh, access to Jackal News passwords also had Bogonko's personal passwords. In fact, Itumbi insinuated just as much. The guy from Netherlands had required to get his passwords to be able to, to transfer to, because his, uh, his Twitter and Facebook was attached to the blog. So he wanted to transfer the entire, the, the, the entire site to another host. And he wanted to design it so that they, would, they call them APIs could be added to the website. So he had shared his password at that time. The guy from Netherlands, I have a suspicion, is now in Kenya, and I think I know it is. And that is the guy who is tweeting. No doubt about it. This continued posting has been a source of pain and anxiety for the family. Nikapikia baba na yeye akashindwa kukula akaniambia wacha niende Nairobi nikaconfirm asubuhi akaamka akaenda akaambiwa pana nimefika lakini sijapata chochote tukatulia from that time hiyo message kwanza iko hata kwa internet kiangalia atibosire was sijui eliminated because of his sijui sijui lose time hiyo sasa from that time atujasikia anything 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 concerning him lakini mimi nimekuwa nikia nikigo kwa facebook naenda kwa search na mtafuta nothing sioni sometimes naona vitu zingine lakini za last year this year sijaona anything we don't know much about the guy in the netherlands except his name is Seth Odongo and that he might be in Kenya at the moment we suspect that he could be the one updating bogonkos uh, social media and the Jackal News uh, Twitter handle. We also know that he was in that he was part of this three-way relationship between him, Moses Rono, and Bogonko. They are the only people who knew what was happening to Jackal News site. Hopefully, when we speak to Moses Rono, he will clear things up. While the Jackal News website did not reveal who was using Bogonko's personal handles to tweet these deeply disturbing and upsetting messages, it did reveal the evolution of its owner. The content on the website tells a story of its own. It's 
either the owner of the website found his niche mm -hmm. um, because sometime around, uh, I think it was around 2000, late 2011 yeah. to the starting off of 2012 now to 2013, it starts to be very specific about information related to Kenya. Right. And so there's this very slow transition towards the end of December um, where uh, at that first year, I'll tell you the truth, in 2011, there's not much traffic within the site itself. Let us run you through. Bogonko starts his blog imitating a news site. Then it mutates into a gossip site. And here, the site wrote everything about sleazy details and major gossip in town, mainly in Kenyan newsrooms. Stories like who was sleeping with whom. Myself and Vincho have been looking at the Jackal News archives. Faded radio bimbo Eve D'Souza hired to sink Uhuru Kenyatta's TNA party. Citizen TV's Johnston Mwakazi is guilty of abetting impunity for failing to grill film boss Peter Mutie on graft claims. Murder in remote Kenya reverberates across nation and world. Ex-standard journalist leaked her sex photos to milk boyfriend, blackmail embassy. Sad, ICC suspect Joshua Arapsang leaves Cas FM after a checkered career. Four women reporters face sack possibly for rejecting top editors' sexual advances. Or OMG, Standard Group, encourages sex among staff members as HR chief Pauline Kiraide conveniently bans spouses from Christmas party. This kind of content doesn't win you fans. During the 2013 campaign period, he wrote a story about a journalist who had received a bribe and he appeared to have the evidence. So one day we were walking with him in town and this journalist from one of the leading media houses just appears and pushes him, tells him, I'm going to kill you, you know, and pushes him aside and Bonko, being the guy who never fights back, just ran away. But uh, that stuck in my mind that, uh, well, there are guys here really, really annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at one point, he put the entire salary structure of the Standard Media Group and guys were mad completely. But as he used to say, he, I think Jacqueline used to say, I own the news and the gossip too. So I think he lived the mantra. That incident happened way after Bugongo had included political reporting in his repertoire. In 2012, Jackal News reported on the two political outfits that were challenging for Kenya's top leadership. Prime Minister Raila Odinga's ODM and Deputy Prime Minister's Uhuru Kenyatta's Jubilee. Jubilee stories were favorable. In fact, Jackal News was Jubilee's propaganda agency, hitting hard on ODM while saying flowery things about Jubilee. And this propping up of Jubilee was not by mistake or by chance. It was by design. We can confirm that Bogonko Bosire was hired by the Jubilee campaign team in 2012. Case number zero has seen staff emails 
and communication that confirms the same. Here's Dennis Sarigo. I knew that his political leanings had changed by that time because he belonged to another political... Um, uh, um, he, 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 he subscribed to another political leaning and I subscribed to another political leaning. So we used to have these arguments on phone. Um, are you going to win this election? You can't win it, all those things. So while his friends thought he had just switched sides, Bogonko had, in fact moved past and beyond being a supporter. He was deep in the campaign. If you Google Bogonko Bosure images, there's three or four photos there. He didn't like his pictures taken. But there's one photo that has been prominent that was used for his missing persons poster. And it's an interesting picture. Bogonko crossing his arms seated in front of a MacBook computer in an office. This picture is taken between December 2012 to March 2013. It was taken at Chancery House, which acted as the headquarters of the Jubilee machinery that powered their 2013 election victory. The bigwigs of the Jubilee party would gather here to meet their campaign team. Uhuru Kenyatta, William Ruto, Jimmy Wanjigi, Alfred Gitonga, Njemuturi, you name them. And this is the place where you'd find them. Access to these headquarters was limited. No member of parliament nor candidates for any positions had access to this location. Many even didn't know it existed. But yet, Bogonko had access to this building. The existence of this picture shows the kind of access that Bogonko had, and just how close he was to power and powerful people. This picture is taken right at the heart of Uru campaign machinery, a place where accidents didn't happen. It is clear he belonged here. He looks relaxed in his element, the photo probably taken and presumably by one of the colleagues in the campaign, this office was established by the now-disgraced Cambridge Analytica. It shows their need to contain information by the way they set up the office and their need to maintain secrets. The MacBook behind Bogonko's picture was one of about 50. It couldn't communicate to anyone outside the firewall built by the Cambridge Analytica. We have evidence from speaking to former Secretariat members that Bogonko was hired as a PR and OPED communication specialist. For that service, he earned about 100,000 Kenya shillings a month. So, back to political loyalty and what friends didn't know, Bogonko not only changed his political leanings, but he was an active operative for the Jubilee machinery. In 2012, Months before elections, he switched sides and made predictions that came to pass. Again, Dennis Sarigo. Every time I'll call him, we were talking about politics and nothing else. It was about politics. It was about politics and the highly charged politics. Because I strongly believe that we, we were likely to trans his, uh, his, his, his candidate in the elections. Uh, but, but we lost. 
Onsarigo was not the only one wary of Bogonko's political dealings. Mohamed Ali figures that Bogonko's life took a turn for the worse the moment he started associating with politicians. He started doing that when he, he started moving around with the, the teams of politicians. You know, those uh, people who are close to politicians in the name of a journalist. So when he started going that direction, that's how he started losing it because he was no longer writing as the Bogonko that we used to love. He was now writing uh, for a certain party, political party. So that's how he started uh, losing it. I think the problem started there. I told you earlier that Bogonko's, you know, he was a good writer. After writing, you know, after he was a good writer, he joined hands with other people who were affiliated to a certain party politically. So he started writing politics in his blog. He would attack people from different parties, political parties. He would make sure maybe the agenda of the party that is supposed to win is heard by Kenyans. So we knew as journalists that this was not Bogonko. But uh, looking at it from my position, from where I'm sitting, I think Bogongo's trouble started when uh, he named, I don't know if you saw his blog when he said that uh, uh, he mentioned the ICC witness who appeared on TV giving evidence. I think that's when his problem started. Who employed Bogongo to do politics? Those are the people who know where Bogongo is. I'm very sure they don't want to talk to you. None of them will agree to talk to you. So if you ask me, we as friends, of, I've tried looking for him in other ways. Eh? Friends are calling me from as far as Malindiki, see people are like, you know, journalists are concerned about his safety, his whereabouts. People are concerned. Mohamed Ali has since joined politics. The irony is not lost on us. Bogonko's relationship with Jubilee was so sweet. He was certain that he would be working at State House once the election period was over. He was so confident of his prospects that he shared the news with his mother. Alikuwa amekwambia vitu anaandika kwa blog yake ilikuwa ya aina gani ama sensitive sijui kimambo ya mambo ya uandishi wake sijui hata kuna wakati hata mmoja nimeona mwingine ameandika inajua tuje ni mwandishi wa habari yeye anaandika sijui sijui anaandika nini many are puzzled that someone who had such proximity to power would just disappear into thin air. And it's not just his family that is ridden with anxiety. At the time of his disappearance, many journalists wondered if they were next. Why is the police so quiet about it? Why can't they tell us where Bogonko is? So if you ask me, I'll tell you, go back to his employees. And that is what is going on right now, fixing people. You tell somebody to do something, he does it recklessly without thinking. 
and then he go is missing. So they know the killers of Bogonko are still alive, enjoying their lives. But Sisi was willing to say, Haki itashinda siku moja. We will know who killed Bogonko. We can't see the body, we don't know whether he's dead or alive. But how many years down the line, this man can be alive. This man might have been killed and dumped somewhere that people cannot see. This man might kill and be thrown in the forest. Hyenas are feeding on him. He might have been killed and buried. So, ask the friends. Ask those who gave him the job. Ask them, where is he? Why kill a journalist? We should be very, very afraid because that can happen to you tomorrow. It could happen to your brother. If you're in a powerful position today, you could disappear tomorrow and no one will give a shit. And, and we should be really, that thought alone should keep us awake at night. Why is it hard for people who are his friends to get his call logs from Safaricom? Why is it that we need to keep on asking policemen, how far have you gone? And yet his friends are in government. And something is amiss. People know where this man is, or people know what happened to Bukumosiri. And they're hoping this should go away. The best we can do, or you can do, is to force the government to produce this guy um, in court or at a police station. But again, there's a problem to that. The state has never admitted either holding him in custody or arresting him at any particular time, interesting him or with him what he does. The only thing we can do to make sure that Bobo is found is appealing to the minds and hearts of the people in Yuhima. Appealing to hearts and minds is why we are producing case number zero. Bogonko was our friend and colleague and we are all working to solve the mystery surrounding his disappearance. Ultimately, Bogonko never worked a day in State House and was never a government employee. But his adventure with Jubilee did not end with the election. During the Jubilee campaigns, he got acquainted with a woman who was a Jubilee supporter on Facebook. This is the girl that Itumbi mentioned in his statement released weeks after Bogonko had been missing. This was out of character for Bogonko. We know that he had no girlfriend and that he had no family or friends in Mwea. My question is, why Mwea? Not so much happens in Mwea. Exactly. Let's try and understand why he went to Mwea. Is this one of those incidents where he wakes up and disappears? Possibly. 
Could this woman have been the girlfriend to Bogonko Bosire? Improbable. Was he running away from someone or something? Probably. No journalist covering the disappearance of Bogonko has been able to identify the girl and interview her. Speaking of women, uh, we know, uh, or rather in your investigation, that he met a girl in where. Is Does this girl even exist? Uh, who was she and how did he just... In fact, I wanted to talk to that one. Yes, and I would love to. a connection to that one. I think that's a story that would be very brilliant. Is the last woman who met Bogonko. Whether all this goes to, to the final edit or not, Says Bogonko never asked for sex throughout. They spent on the same bed. She used to live in a one room. Never asked for sex at any one time. Just wanted to go to his bar. And during that time, there's someone who called Bogonko a lot of times on that night. And Bogonko kept saying, So there's a link there that I think is important on And she's a nurse. She's in Moya. I'm sure if I speak to her, she'll talk to you. I would totally do anything to interview her. Give me the white phone. Then I will. There's one with a white cover. Sasa, tell me, eh? Uh, there is a friend of mine doing a documentary on Bogonko. Sorry? There is a friend of mine uh, doing a documentary on Bogonko. Uh huh. So I told them one of the persons they must speak to uh, is you. Uh-huh. So I'll give them your number, they'll call you. Uh-huh. Have a chat with them. <laughs> hmm? Sawa? Hello? I don't understand intelligence. I'm not overturning government. <laughs> if you have any tips or questions and even suggestions about this story series that you are currently running, about the disappearance of Bogonko Bosire, you can email us at case0 at gmail.com or find us on our social media pages. Case number zero is hosted by me, James Smart, additional reporting, Vinchon Chogu, Production House, Supersonic Africa, Sound Engineer, Muna Chuba, Video Editor, Sharon Ongayo, theme music, Brian Sigu, voice artist, Yafesi Musoke, producers, Vinchon Chogu, and James Smart. Consultant to producers, Abdullah Iboru, impact producer, May Lebo, script consultants, Chachi Lotieno, and Monica Ndogo. If you like case number zero, Leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and subscribe to get new episodes as soon as they drop. Sipping the air on
Nungewa parisani Fii